Hi, Lane. <laughs> hey, thanks for having me. Hello, everybody. Hi. I want to pronounce your name correctly. The la your oh. last name. Kawaoka, Kawaoka. Why you tell me? I wanted to guess. I wanted to get it right, but that's what I said. Kawaoka. Yes, yeah. I did. <laughs> How are you? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Oh, yes. You are very interesting um, to me because when I was reading that uh, you were an engineer and then you, you, your side gig was portfolio rental, real estate portfolio. That, that's that's correct. So I mean, I graduated back in 2003, mm -hmm. and up to that point, followed this linear path that everybody tells you to do: go to school, wow. study hard, work at a day job, and you know, invest in your 401k retirement, buy a house to live in, and yeah. Yeah. do that for 50, 100 years, and maybe retire a few years before you die. Yeah, that's what Social Security is. You ready? And then every year that you get a raise right you're supposed to take that extra percentage of your raise and put that into your 401k so it can really grow did you ever hear that one yeah i mean there's countless of these blue pill type of financial dogmas that they tell us right um so i you know followed this linear path and you know saved up a couple of years out of college to buy a house to live in because again that's the dogma that we're all taught yeah. and then i started to rent it out um because I was working on the road all the time for work and just being home on Saturday once a week didn't really make too much sense as a young 20-year-old single guy. And then I started to realize, wow, if I just did this several more times, I'll be able to quit my day job, certainly almost replace my salary. And um, you know that's where I, I discovered the power of rental real estate and um, positive cash flow. Is it similar to Airbnb? I mean, you know, that's what we know about now, like today. Yeah, so, you know, like, you know, rental properties, you know, Airbnb is more like short-term rentals, which okay. is, we don't really get into that. It's I see it more as a discretionary type of item for people. It's, you know, their vacations, right? It's when in tough times, people stop vacationing, right? As we yeah. see in the pandemic. Um, what I like to invest in is more long-term rentals to the average person, the lower middle class, or the, what we call it workforce housing. Okay. So monthly rents between 700 bucks to $1,200 a month. Uh, we kind of target this, we call them class B and class C tenants. You know, not the, not where, the luxury. Where's the location though? Is it all over? Is it a set location? Yeah, so typically not in your pro what we call primary markets. Like, so primary markets are like Seattle, California, Hawaii, Boston, New York. Right. These secondary markets aren't the sexy places to live. Places like Birmingham, Atlanta, Indianapolis, Huntsville, uh, Little Rock, yeah. Tahoe, Florida, right? Places where, and even in those markets where you have better rent-to-value ratios or in the more B-class, C-class areas. So what we look at first is this thing called the rent-to-value ratio. This is a calculation anybody could do at home with a little bit of Googling and Zillow work. You know, so you, you look for a property that is 1% uh, rent-to-value ratio or higher. You find the rent-to-value ratio by taking the monthly rental price dividing by the purchase price. Okay. So for example, you know, a lot of the places that will have people start off with is buying little rental homes that are $100,000 a piece. 
mm-hmm. um, that will rent for about a thousand dollars a month. So one thousand divided by a hundred grand is one percent. Mm-hmm. So we're looking for something around there, maybe a little bit better. But you know, just take properties in California, for example. You'd be lucky to find a house in the ghetto for four hundred grand out there that will rent for two thousand dollars a month. Two thousand divided by four hundred thousand is half a percent. That ain't gonna work. It's less than one percent. So that's kind of the the kind of the forefront of like where do you kind of start your search and the difference between betting on appreciation versus cash flow prudent investing. You know, investing in things where you make money every single month. Mm-hmm. That's that's right. So have you been successful? Um, currently, we own over you know eight hundred million dollars of properties. Um, wow. Mostly, we buy apartments these days, so we can kind of buy them in bulk, get better pricing, um, get better pricing than the average mom and pop investor buying little single-family homes, duplex, triplex, quadplexes. But you know what? Kind of go around teaching is you know when your portfolio gets larger, your net worth becomes over a million dollars net worth. Then you kind of move to the bigger investments, syndications, and private placements. But you know, just getting started, you got to buy properties at cash flow. And this is not a get-rich-quick scheme, but it's saving up your down payment, twenty percent down payment to go buy a house, rinse, wash, repeat, do it again. I mean, I I bought my first property in two thousand nine. I bought another property a couple years later, and it it wasn't until two thousand fifteen. Uh, what is that? Five, six years later, that I had eleven properties scattered throughout the country. Wow! And did you buy any fixture uppers and then fix them up, or did you basically the, you purchase properties that were together, like ready? Yeah, you, you know, like fixing up property—that's a pain in the butt. Right? <laughs> yeah, and I think I think that's what separates us from most, you know. Most folks kind of target people that are broke, right? And people who are broke don't have very much money, and therefore they have to put in sweat equity. Mm-hmm. Uh, our clientele, our investors, they have good-paying day jobs, right? Many of them make over sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year. They're mm-hmm. already good savers, and they line up to be more passive investors. And ah. therefore, when you're starting out. You know, you probably can save twenty to thirty thousand dollars for a down payment for one of these properties, and we recommend people not screwing around with heavy value add type of projects from the get go. Right, a lot of construction. The idea is to go buy a turnkey property, something that's ready to go. You know, maybe put up some curtains, new fresh coat of paint at most, and you get going. Wow, because co- uh, college students, do you find renting to college students as very lucrative? Um, so we we don't go to like these niches such as college students or military towns. We stay okay. with like the majority of America, which okay. is your blue collar workforce housing, just average folks that work at Walmart, grocery stores. They might work at a warehouse at Amazon or. Um, Work at a mall, you know. They, some of them might have more white-collar jobs, transitioning. You know, the younger people in life transitioning. Some people might be single, you know, making fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year or less. You know, those are our clientele: workforce housing. And you know, like when you kind of get into those niches, 
you're kind of exposed, right? Just like short-term rentals is right. a niche, right? Like what we like to do is invest in what are things that are going to still be around if there's any kind of hiccup in the economy or recession, right? And this is why we stay away from the high-end A-class because in tough times, the A-class come back, they get foreclosed out of their houses and they move to apartments right. or properties that we own, the B-class. We try and stay away from the, the lower class, the D-class or the war zone type of properties or the lower C-class properties because the tenants are just really difficult to work with. It's hard to collect your, your rent checks. But there's a nice little sweet spot in this B-class clientele. Well, I have a question. Um, you know, I've heard of people purchasing properties and then they will apply with the government for uh, to allow a family that has Section 8 to be at their property. And if it's five grand a month, the money comes from the state directly to the owner of the home. And the person, sometimes they have no rent to pay or maybe $10 a month is from that family. Have you ever heard of that? Because that's a New York, like I've only heard it happening in New York, certain places. Have you heard of that? Yeah, I mean, I when all my rental properties in Birmingham, when I had them, they were pretty much Section 8. Oh, they are? Okay. You know, I think if you're going to go into Class C areas, it's not a bad idea to go in with a Section 8 tenant. Mm -hmm. um, I think most people have like a negative connotation to renting to Class C. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, there's pros and cons both ways, but, you know, my takeaway is a little bit more of a neutral standpoint. I mean, the, the, the tenant in there is getting their monthly rent check from the government. Yeah. Um, it's going to come. Yeah. I mean, I've, I, I've seen it where like the tenant like was responsible for like $635 a month and or the, the tenant, the government paid $635. The tenant responsible was, for $5. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, like a 40, $45 or whatever it was. I don't know how the heck that came to be, but you know, everybody's voucher amount is predicated <laughs> on their financial system, how many kids they have, etc. Right. But I mean, that $45 was like late. Well, you know, not, not more times than not, but a lot of the time. <laughs> I believe that that, I mean, I don't know how the business go, but I'm telling you, if I ever did, I probably would, I probably would go that way with it for two reasons. Because there are so many families out here who qualify for Section 8 and they work at Target. But they don't have the 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 fun, you know, the money to pay. You know, when you look at their salary, if they make it fifteen dollars an hour, fifteen dollars an hour uh, a year, forty hours a week is thirty thousand, something around there. So when they're bringing home their money, and then the rent's nine hundred dollars because you know when it's a private property, the sliding scale is how they make it. You know what I mean? You, you can't. It, it's not a government scale, but they can make that money and have a Section 8 voucher and pay $50 because they, you know, it's covered. Just to give a little insight to the audience when they're listening, you know, um, or did it, did it sound right to you? <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, these are the these are the positives behind doing this as a, as a landlord or investor. Is That's a pretty sweet deal for that individual. I mean, and it's typically like a single mom, right? Yeah. I mean, they're just economically immobile but they're good people at the end of the day and you know they're they're good people to work for and, and you know if you're into that type of warm and fuzzy business that's that's great right yeah um what 
and they are typically on best behavior because they don't want to screw up your property and get kicked out on the streets and not be part of the voucher program anymore. And then um, they have a house. They have the, they're raising the they have the opportunity of raising their children in a home instead of a project or you know what I'm saying um, in an environment that's not conducive to their kids' growth and development. Right, right. I mean, like the whole projects idea, I mean, they're all tearing them down and they're not really creating any more of them, but to cluster all your poor people in one area just is not a good from a city planning standpoint. And, you know, obviously the government's kind of understanding that 30, 40 years later and it's going away. And this is how they create housing yeah. um, where they scatter these houses throughout a neighborhood. And, you know, you can't really say, well, this is the poor area. This is the super poor area it's just kind of all the lower middle class um, and it seems to work right is it kind of shares city services appropriately um, as a single family home investor i would do section eight but we do not do section eight uh, in our apartments because it's apartments is a little bit different dynamic where we have you know we try to improve the community um where it's you know, like if you have more than 10, 20% Section 8 units, your apartment complex is going to be the, known as the place you can get your drugs from. And that's what we don't want. That's the, okay, <laughs> and that's the stigma. Right. That, right. that right. And, and what investors do, like a person like you would say, oh, no, I don't want that. But have you ever did any research to see if any, was it different? Like have every single Section 8 community the people are, you know, it's drugs is because guess what? I've been in some very upscale communities in New York City. I mean, buildings with a doorman would get, you would have to go around the back to go upstairs because it was, and I used to smell weed and drugs on every floor if I went there. So, you know, when it comes to drugs, they're all over the place. You know, um, I do believe that a lot of people who are on Section 8 are viewed a certain way. It's just like, you know, the trust factor but i do i do understand how you have a structure just like you said you're not in new york in the bigger places you know what i mean yeah we're, we're typically in the suburb areas outside of the inner city areas and you know i mean look i i don't do section eight these days right i mean i just i think that's i i think you could make a lot of money doing that it's right. just that is not where i've centered my business around oh, I and i don't I don't understand all the nuances of it. Right. But this is kind of where we go to just, you know, for apartments, non-section eight. But for single family homes, I think it would be probably a good idea if you're going to those lower class C type of neighborhoods to do section eight because you're kind of you kind of benefit from your neighbors around you having better tenants than yours. Right. It's not your problem at the end of the day. The community is not your problem. Unfortunately. Right. And that's why people don't like landlords, I guess, right? And investors. Yeah. But it is what it is. Yeah, unless a landlord really doesn't care. <laughs> but yeah. um, so now back to your apartments. Your apartments have terraces and stuff? Like are they like nice, really nice? Um, I mean they're not they're not new properties, right? But typically between built between the nineteen sixties and the nineteen nineties is kind of the, the genre we go after. Um, we, we go after stabilized apartments where it's already you know, cash flowing and it, it's already 90% full. It's fully occupied for those. So is it a full development though of apartments or is it 
uh, I don't know if this is possible. So are you able to invest in three apartments in a building with 10 floors or do you have to buy the whole building? You have to buy the whole building. Okay. So you have to own everything because you know, it's, it's now what I'm getting ready to ask you about is something that it just came to my mind because I was curious about it, but it might not be what you do, but you may have a little knowledge about it. I found out recently that um, like if you go to stay at a casino or go somewhere, let's say you book it through kayak, right? I'm going to just name any place, kayak. They'll book you in rooms that they purchased in that development, in that big building. That's what I thought about. Like if you go to the casino and you book your room through kayak, that room belongs to kayak. So they're responsible for the upkeep. Have, did you ever know about that? Yeah, I mean, that, a lot of that's in the short term rental world, right? And a lot of it is more discretionary income. And, you know, we like to stay in long term rents where people have to live on the other 99% of their non dream type of world, right? What they do every day. Yeah. And, you know, and we like it because it's, it's old fashioned. Things don't change that much, right? We like this boring business plan. So you have your own super in the building? Like, once you purchase the building, it belongs to you. So that means you have to hire the um, maintenance and stuff like that. How does yeah, that Yeah, and that's the nice thing, right? When you own little rental properties, you've, you know, you've got to hire a prop third party property management company, pay them 10% of the rents. And you now it, it's difficult for them because they've got to jump around all around the neighborhoods, um, often many zip codes to service the property should something happen. But with an apartment, everything's clustered in one place. When we have more than 60 units, now I can dedicate and pay somebody on salary to stay at the property at all time and pay subunits continually. When I get over 100, 150 units, now I can start to hire several handymen. Now, instead of like on my little rental property, when I'm paying $600 for some stupid toilet repair from some third party uh, plumber, right. I just have the handyman knock that out before his first smoke break salary right take good care of it in-house really? too. so right. could you share your website with my audience um and what you offer like what do you do if someone would like to do what you do yeah so i mean if you guys want to if everybody just bought a handful of rental properties like how i did i mean it just totally changes your financial picture. If you're kind of starting out, go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash turnkey. Learn to buy remote rentals is what I would suggest to get started. That's how I got started. Um, and then check out the podcast, Simple Passive Cashflow, Passive Real Estate Investing. Especially if you're tired of all these like flippers and wholesaling. I mean, that's a very, I think most people think of real estate when they think of that type of stuff. But when you start to get a little money, you know, you, you got to get into the passive real estate world. Well, guys, you heard it here. You will also have all of Lane's information on MohaniLove.com. And that's where you can look back at the um, different interviews or if you're interested to know how he did it or um, you can reach out to him. Anything you would like to share with the audience, Lane? Uh, no, I think that's it. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Bye.